I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3, and we will be doing some uh, turning around there in the Bible, so we will be going in and out of uh, 1 John chapter 3. Last week, uh, we looked at an introduction to heaven, a place that most people, Christians and non-Christians alike, believe in. Um, we know that uh, heaven is the reward uh, of believers in Jesus Christ. And so consequently, it is the joy, it is the eternal life, it is about God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a place of unspeakable joy, uh, peace, love, best of all, best of all, the presence of Almighty God. The presence of Almighty God. And last week, in addition to defining heaven, we looked at who are the people that will be in heaven. And in short, Scripture defines the folks that are going to be in heaven as believers in Jesus Christ. Those to whom they have entrusted their eternal salvation, their eternal souls to Christ. Those whom have repented of their sins and trusted in that finished work of Christ on the cross those who love God and do his will and um, <clears throat> this week we're going to take a look at what will we and I'll put into parentheses what will we believers be like in heaven I think there's a lot of questions about that right and I think there are some Places, obviously, we couldn't do a, a complete, exhaustive analysis or exposition of this. So I'm going to try and hit a few of the highlight points. Um, but for our text, for our starting place, as I said, I'd like you to turn to 1 John chapter 3. And for context, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 3. This is the Apostle John writing this, and he says, See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And the real context here, the real verse I want to point to is verse 2. Beloved, now we are the children of God. But you hear that term thrown out so often today, the children. You, you, you hear the world go, we're all children of God. It's incredible. We're all children of a God that they themselves don't believe. And we're mocked for believing in that God. But we're all children of God. But the Word of God is very clear about this, right? The Word of God says there is a distinction between the creations of God and the children of God. Right? We're all creations of God. But for as many as received him, as John says in his gospel, to them he gave the right to be called children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Who are the children of God? The ones whom God has given the right. And who are they? The ones who believe in the name of Jesus Christ. 
Christ. It's not an intellectual belief, as I tell you all the time. It's entrusting. It's, it's defaulting yourself. It's, it's laying down and saying, I trust nothing else but Christ for my eternal salvation. And if you look in verse 2, he says, we shall be like, like him. So this is the first question I'm going to attempt to answer. What will believers be like in heaven? And in what manner shall we be like Christ? Right? And the key to the interpretation is, is this phrase, we shall be like him. That's interesting. You know, if you look at the, if you look at the Greek context of this, right? The defining means simply as one resembling the same as. We shall be like Him. We shall be the same as Christ. I like the way the Amplified Bible lays it out. It says this, Beloved we are, and it puts in parentheses, even here and now, children of God. And it's not made clear what we will be after Christ's coming. But we know that when he comes uh, and is revealed, we will, in parentheses, as his children, be like him. Because we shall see him in all of his glory. See, that gets me excited. To be like Christ. We shall be like Christ. When Christ rose from the grave, it was the same body. It was the same body, right? He went to his disciples and said, hey, hey, go ahead. Put your hands in my wrist. Put your hands. Go ahead. You want to you stick your hand in the wound, he says to Thomas? Christ's resurrection, his glorified body. Remember when Christ rises from the tomb, Mary goes to the tomb early in the morning and she goes to the tomb, she sees the stone is rolled away, right? And she just sees the linen blankets lying there and she, she's sad, she's, she's dismayed. She comes out of the tomb and Jesus comes around the corner and it says, supposing him to be the gardener, she said, where have you taken my Lord? Right? Now, if that glorified resurrected body looked anything different, you know, you probably would have thought she wouldn't have supposed him to be the gardener, right? And so when he calls her name, he says, Mary, she recognizes him. She goes, my Lord, my God. She falls at his feet and he says what? Stop clinging to me, right? And then we know that when he met the other disciples, right? They didn't have any difficulty recognizing him. So when we, the Scripture would tell us that we would be like Christ, it is that it will be the glorified body will be the resurrected body glorified. Glorified in the same manner that Christ was glorified. Look at some Scriptures here that speak to this. John 20, 27. Here's the encounter with what we call Downing Thomas. right? I don't believe he rose from the dead. I don't believe. And Jesus appears to him. And in John 20, 27, he says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach here your finger and see my hands. Reach here uh, your hand and put it into my side. And be not unbelieving, but be believing. 
And then in Luke 24, verses 13 through, 18, uh, 13 through 18, we have the story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And the two disciples on the road to Emmaus are conversing with one another about all the tragic events that just occurred in Jerusalem. And the scripture says that Christ comes alongside them and he says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And that their eyes were prevented from knowing that it was Christ, right? And they said, oh, you must be the only one here in, in, in Jerusalem who doesn't know what's been going on. And in verse, uh, it says, and it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, uh, discussing Jesus himself approached and began traveling them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. So what did they think it was? What did they think he was? It was just another man. The look, the design was another man. And so our resurrected bodies are going to be the same bodies. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about it, which is why the grave gives up the bodies. Right? The grave gives up the body. I was, I was at my parents' grave when I was in New York a few weeks ago. My parents are there and my, my grandmother and my grandfather. And I remember the day we were burying my mother and we had the coffin there and it was before the final service at the gravesite. And I knew my dad was there. I knew my grandfather's body there. My grandmother's body was there. I said, what a waste of money. Seriously, what a, what a waste of money. And I mean, I really was persuaded by this. I said, don't they know that the grave is going to blow up and the dead in Christ are going to rise first? That coffin can't contain them. That vault can't contain them. The dirt can't contain them. The tombstone can't contain them. The Bible is very clear. The dead in Christ shall rise first. And I said, what a waste of money this is, man. Absolute waste of money. You get the nicest coffin, you know, the one with the Wi-Fi in it and the stereo radio and everything. So we see in Christ, the resurrection, he is the firstborn from the dead. He is the preeminent one born from the dead. He is the example of the resurrected body. And what do we see? The resurrected body. Two arms, two legs, two eyes, hands, feet, no wings. Right? No wings going about. But notice something else. The resurrected body, the glorified body of Christ also had other worldly capabilities, other worldly features. He could appear out of nowhere. How cool will that be? He could appear out of nowhere. He could transcend matter. He can come through a wall. And we see that in John 20, 11. He could appear and his visibility could be masked as what happened to uh, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. He could disappear from sight as Luke 24, 36 indicates. And he could ascend into heaven as Acts 1, 9 makes very clear. So the question remains, what will believers be like in heaven and the answer is like Christ. Like Christ. Our dead, corrupting bodies will rise from the grave like Christ. And we will have our existing bodies transformed into a glorified state. 
So what does that mean? It means we have the resurrected body is a physical body. It is a physical body. And as I shared with you, it has two arms, two hands, two feet. However, there'll be no aging. There'll be no imperfection. There'll be no disease. There will be no diets, praise God. There will be no receding hairlines, double praise God. There'll be no baldness. There'll be no being overweight. To enter heaven, we will be given immortal physical bodies. Immortal. This body could never enter heaven, period. Why? Why not? Because we're products of the fall. This body is corrupted. From the day you're born, you begin to die. From the day you're born, you begin to age. When you begin to age, you become more susceptible, more vulnerable to disease. Well, imperfection, and we're going to see in the Scripture, imperfection cannot enter perfection. Mortality has nothing to do with immortality. So there'll be physical bodies, but there'll be perfected bodies. Scripture refers to this process as glorification. It is the final step in our redemptive process right when we're saved we are sanctified we are justified we are declared judicially righteous before god by the merits of christ we then go through sanctification where god begins to separate us from sin to draw us to himself and make us holy and in the first sense we start the glorification process God is glorified in us when we testify for Christ. God is glorified in us in our sanctification. But the final glorification comes from the resurrection of the dead. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you might want to turn there. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is probably one of the greatest chapters on the issue of the resurrection of the dead. And I'm just going to cite three verses for you where this will become clearer. In 1 Corinthians 15, 42, Paul, speaking of the resurrection, says this, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised imperishable. Well, when is the body sown imperishable? Uh, when is the body sown perishable? When we die and we are buried. You know, I saw an amazing study. You know, they surveyed 100 people. And they said in the survey, 100 out of 100 people surveyed, 100 people this will happen to. Everyone will die. Everyone will die. Nobody, 98% are not going to do it. 80% are not going to do it. 100% are going to die. And there will be a cause of death whether that cause of death is external, like you were killed by somebody, or that cause of death will be organic. Cancer and liver failure and all the other different things. There's a litany of things out there. But the net net of it is when that occurs, your body begins to perish. And when the ultimate perishing occurs, life seeks you're put into the grave. This is what Paul's referring to. It is sown 
a perishable body. It decomposes. I don't want to get all morbid, but you know the drill. It decomposes. It goes through multiple stages. But when the power of God comes for the resurrection, it will be raised. And it will be raised imperishable. Not able to perish anymore. There goes all the disease and illness. Look a, look a, few, first, a few verses down. 1 Corinthians 15.49 and just as we have borne the image of the earthly, earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be perfected. Listen, we will be able to stand before God Himself. Remember Moses up on the mountain? Father, who shall they say send me? He says, tell them I am who I am send you. He said, well, you got to show me yourself. And he said, no man can see me and live. But when you're raised in an immortal body, when you're raised in an imperishable body, we will be able to stand before the Lord. To stand before the Holy One. To stand before God. To come into the throne room of God and worship Him. And then if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54, Paul says this, and when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality. Then will come about the statement that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Why do we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? Why do we continue to preach the same gospel message? So that men and women would not perish. That's what Jesus said, right? God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting, eternal life. Now, it should be noted today, what about Christians that have died today? What state are they in heaven? Well, we know from the Scripture that when a believer dies today, their soul departs their body, and their soul goes to be with the Lord. The Apostle Paul said, hey, for me it's better. You know, he said, I'm torn. I don't know if I should stay with you guys, you know. Because I know that if I'm going to be absent, notice what he says, absent from the body, I'll be in the presence of the Lord. So our soul, what is our soul? The essence of who we are as an individual. It is the thing that God birthed in every human being. It is that which is eternal. And by the way, let me share with you something. Believe, unbelievers will live eternally as well. I want to share that with you. Believers are going to live eternally in the presence of God. But unbelievers are going to live eternally. But they're going to live in a Christless eternity reserved for them for judgment. God has put an eternal soul in every human being. So those that we know, I think about my mom and dad, I think about my grandparents, I think about my dear friend Dan Garlic, I think about many people that have preceded me in death. But I know that they are in the presence of God. Awaiting, as the book of Revelations tells us, the resurrection of the dead. 
And Paul said this, he goes, we'll all be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye, and the dead in Christ shall raise, be raised first. The dead in Christ, they're going to be raised first. This is the order of resurrection. The dead in Christ are raised first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord and forever be with him in the air. Listen, some of you, I, I said in prayer time, some of you have said, boy, it's been a tough week. It's been a hard week. It's been this. It's been that. Let me share something with you. There's coming a day when the dead in Christ are going to rise first and we which remain. I don't know if I'm going to remain, but I have no problem. I have no problem. If the Lord want to take me today, Lord, take me. Punch that ticket. Right? I have no problem. I'll be up there with the, all the other saints. We'll be singing hymns waiting for you guys. But there is a glory and a hope to our faith and a glory and a hope that which we can be certain. But you got to know in whom you have believed. You're not going to get there without Christ. You're not going to get there in and of your own efforts. You're not going to get there based on your own goodness. You have to throw everything aside and fall at the feet of the cross and throw yourself entirely on the merits of Christ accomplished on the cross. So as I stated, our resurrected bodies will bear resemblance of our human bodies in a glorified state. But it's going to be far more glorious. We will have heavenly capabilities that transcend our current existing capabilities on earth. Here's another glorious truth. We will be free from sin. Free from sin. No temptation. No trials. No failing. No succumbing to sin. No need for repentance. How glorious is that? No jealousy, no covetedness, no pride, no sexual immorality, no impure thoughts. Believers will be as Christ, sinless, pure, perfected, and righteous. And we will dwell in the perfection of heaven. Here are some phrases you're never going to hear again when you're in heaven. I'm sorry. I didn't mean that. Please forgive me. I hate you. You're never going to hear it. You're never going to hear a curse word again, praise God. You're not going to hear any blasphemy, any words of spoken in anger, no lies, no rumors, no half-truths or white lies, no sorrow, no pain, no distractions, no illness. No contending for, listen, we're not going to contend for the faith any longer. It would be consummated. The faith would be complete. Every word that God has spoken, everything that Jesus said will be fulfilled. So we're not going to be arguing with anybody there. We'll have no rejection, no loneliness, no depression, no anxiety, no doctors, no lawyers, no professors, no death. I don't know, man, that, that really gets me going. That really gets me going. The Old Testament testified to this. Look at Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8. Isaiah 25, verse 8. The prophet Isaiah speaks. 
and he will swallow up in death for he will swallow up death for all time. Praise God. And the Lord God, listen to these words. The Lord God will wipe away every tear from their faces. He will remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Boy, there's a stamp of approval. The Lord himself has spoken these words. And look how similar this is to Revelation 21.4. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there shall no longer be any death. And there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. You're never going to know sorrow. You're never going to feel the sting of death, the separation of death any longer listen you will not hear about republican or democrat praise god you will not hear about communist socialism or politics news channels will not be there you won't hear vaccinated versus unvaccinated no disgusting entertainment from hollywood the joy of the Lord will be our strength. He will be the delight of our souls. We will dwell in wonder of God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Those of you on earth who have no family, in heaven you'll have all the family you'll ever want. No wars. No rumors of wars. Listen, no more demons. They'll be stamped and crushed under the feet, burning in the lake of fire along with the devil himself. They'll be done away with because they'll be forever judged. Listen, if you lost a child, you'll be reunited with them in heaven. If you lost a loved one, a husband, mother, father, sister, brother, friend, if they were believers on earth, then you will be united with them in heaven. Praise God, because there's a lot of people I'm dying to see. All of this is accomplished by Christ's victory over death. All of this is accomplished because of the resurrection of the dead made possible by Christ's victory on the cross and over the grave. What a glorious truth. But there's more. One of the common questions that people are asked is, will I be married in heaven? Now, depending on who you speak to, it could be a joyous answer. It depends on what side of the pole you're on. Barbara's not here? Okay. I didn't imply that, so don't go back and tell her that. But this is a legitimate question, right? The simple answer is, will we be married in heaven? The simple answer is no. And we get this from the Lord Jesus Christ himself in Matthew 22, verses 28 to 30. These were the Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection and they give them an example. They, you know, they said the law says if a brother dies and his wife left no children, the brother marries them and they go on. They say there were seven brothers. They all, they all married her, but they all didn't have ch children in the resurrections whose, whose wife will she be? And listen to the response of the Lord. In the resurrection, therefore, this is the question they ask. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. 
But notice, but Jesus answered and said, you are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. For in the resurrection, they're neither married nor given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. Now, the first thing I want to say is Jesus' answer does not imply that people in the resurrection are going to be androgynous. They're going to be genderless, for lack of a term, right? The crux of what Jesus' answer is this really deals with the creative order and the institution of marriage and its role in the creative order, right? It is because the institution of marriage will no longer be needed. It will no longer be needed, right? To be like angels simply means that angels do not procreate. They do not marry. Now, if you look at the institution of marriage, it was designed for the human race. It was designed. God had declared during creation that it was not good for man to be on the earth, so he gave her a helper. He gave her a wife. And so God created the woman. He went on to say that they are to procreate and they are to fill the earth. Hence, the institution of marriage was created. Right? That institution was created. And you notice that the institution of marriage is a man and a woman. End the story. Now, this is all fulfilled, right? Resurrection comes. This is all fulfilled. It's no longer needed in heaven. However, we have every reason to believe from the Scriptures that we will remember our spouses in heaven. That the love that we will have for them in heaven will be a perfected love. It will be perfect. Unlike the relationship we have on earth, right? They will not be strangers. We will know them as our spouses here on earth. So if you have a great relationship with your spouse today or a spouse that has gone on before you, just think for a moment, really, think for a moment, how much greater will that be perfected in the love of Jesus Christ in eternity? And if you don't, I don't know what to tell you. Here's another question. Will we know each other in heaven? And the simple answer to that is, yes, we will. You know, one of the joys of being a Christian and being friends with other Christians is the friendship goes on into eternity. We have no reason in the Scriptures to come to a conclusion that we're going to be these kind of like robotic beings that don't recognize one another and they're just going to be like, you know, smiling at each other. Remember, what is eternal is the soul. What is the soul? It is the essence of who we are. It is our individuality. It is how God created each and every one of us distinct. And I think one of the greatest examples of this took place on the Mount of Transfiguration. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17, as we look at verses 1 and 2. Matthew 17, verses 1 and 2. The Scripture says, And six days later Jesus took him 
with him Peter, James, and John and his brother and brought him up to a high mountain by Jerusalem. And he was transfigured before him. And his face shone like the sun. And his garments became white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. And Peter answered and said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one from Elijah. It had been centuries when prior that Moses and Elijah were on the earth. Centuries. And yet they appeared, by, notice by the way, via an otherworldly power, right? They appeared to Christ on the mountain and notice that in verse 4 that Peter was able to identify, hey, that's Moses, that's Elijah. He recognized them, right? And I think another definitive point of this is the story of Lazarus and the rich man found in Luke 18, verses 19-31. You don't have to turn there. You could write it down for a future reference. But if you recall this biblical account told by our Lord Jesus, he tells the story of someone who has gone on to heaven, the poor man Lazarus, and a rich man who had everything on earth, and he goes to Hades the temporary waiting place before the judgment of God. And the, if you read the dialogue, we learn from this account that the rich man was able to recognize Lazarus in paradise. He knew him. Hey, Lazarus, dip your, dip your finger in a little water. Touch my tongue. I'm in agony here in these flames. And so he's able to identify him and he's able to recognize those. He recognized Father Abraham. So we see in the afterlife, in the resurrection, that there's recognition. There's memory. We're able to do it. I'm going to see my sister Marie, and she's going to make me grape leaves. I'm going to say, Marie, make me some grape leaves, right? I always, I always say every time I see my friends all over the world, I say the greatest part of this is we will reunite in heaven one day and we'll all be together. So we're not in this cosmic limbo. It's not going to be a thing like, and we're not going to be on the cloud playing a harp. We're actually going to have jobs. We're actually going to work in heaven. We're actually going to sing and worship before the throne of God. We're going to eat in heaven. You like that one? But how great. We're going to eat and not gain weight. Is that good or what? But I think out of all the things that we reviewed, I think the best, this for me is the best, the best blessing of heaven is we're going to have unhindered fellowship with God unhindered we will get to worship God without restraint we will be able to worship God without a veil right now we we worship God but we don't see God we don't we don't fully dwell in His presence, right? God gives us foretaste through the Holy Spirit. Hey, you know one of the reasons the church is created? The church is created as a foretaste of heaven, of the community of heaven that's going to go. 
of believers in heaven, when we dwell together in unity, when we come together, single-mindedness and purpose, we have a foretaste of heaven. But now, we get to be in the presence of Yahweh, the living God, the eternal God. We get to bask in the glory of God. Let me tell you something. There are not words that we could put together in any earth, earthly language that can articulate the glory of God and what it is like. There are no words at all. So to bask in the glory of God is going to be a transcendent experience. It's going to be a whole new experience. It's going to be an awe-inspiring experience that's going to blow us away. Our glorified bodies that we're going to get through the resurrection will be prepared specifically for this. We can come before the Lord because we will be perfected. We will be sinless. There will be no measure of defilement in us, either in our souls or in our physical bodies. Christ has paid the ransom for our salvation. We are in a right state before God, but now we have been given an immoral body just like Christ. No defect, no sin. So guess what? We can see God as he is. I love the way Paul talks about that. Because of our redemption in Jesus Christ, because of the resurrection of the dead, our bodies will rise from the grave in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Do you know how long a twinkling of, a, of an eye is? It's actually been timed. It's one eleventh hundredth of a second. That's a twinkling of an eye. One eleven hundredth. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. Who could do that but God? Who could do that but God? And let me tell you something about that moment. In that moment, our eternal longing will be satisfied. In that moment, all of our questions are going to be answered. In that moment, our longing for home will be over. I don't know about you, but there's many days on this earth I long for home. And I'm talking about that eternal home. More and more as this world grows increasingly more wicked, don't you feel more estranged from the world? Don't you feel like I don't belong here? I, I, I don't. There's something innately within the believer that says, I don't belong here. And one of the greatest, greatest uh, manipulations that Satan has ever pulled upon the human race is even though we feel that longing for home, we tend to cling to the things of earth. Let me tell you something. In that moment, we will know and we will be fully known by our God. Praise God. Praise God for His goodness. In Revelations 21.3, turn to Revelations 21.3, I just want to point this out to you. Revelation 21.3. John says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, listen to these words. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself 
shall be among them. Now, I want to call your attention, he shall dwell among them. That, that liter- if we transliterate that term, it means God is going to pitch his tent among us. God is going to, he's going to pitch his tent among us. We're going to behold him. He's going to be there. He's not going to be behind a holy of holies. He's not going to be locked up in some, some temple that's unapproachable. God himself will pitch his tent among us. The eternal sovereign God. The glorious majestic God. The eternal I am. The one who spoke the worlds into its existence. He will dwell with us and we will be his people. That's the whole plan of salvation. Do you know that? God's plan of salvation would be that he would have a kingdom of priests for our God. And we will have that unhindered unhindered access. In John 14, verses 1 and 3, the Lord made this statement. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you so. Note that. Underline that in your Bible. If I'm telling you a fable, if I'm giving you a parable, if I'm telling you an allegory, if I'm giving you a a, a metaphor, I would have told you so, but I'm being frank with you now. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may also be. This verse tells us a few things. That I, I want you to get this. It tells us, number one, that heaven is an actual place. It's not a state of mind. It's not a consciousness like Eastern religions would tell us. Well, we, we'll reach a consciousness. We'll reach a, 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 a level of consciousness that is divine. No, heaven is an actual place. How do we know? The Lord Jesus just told us right here. It tells us, secondly, that the Father dwells there. So does the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, that it is the final destination for all who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus. The implication in verse 14 is that the dwelling place is God's house. How big is that house? It's God's house. And in that house we have rooms reserved for who? Rooms reserved for the elect of God. I got a room there. When I started singing when I was young, we used to sing a lot of gospel songs and we always used to sing Mansion Over the Hilltop. I got a mansion just over that hilltop. I said, can you change the words of this song? I got a room in God's gigantic house. Just, I guess, didn't go. We have this vision of mansion. By the way, one of the dangers about thinking about heaven is when we start thinking about heaven, how it fulfills all of our carnal lust. Big houses, you know, I'm, I'm going to have hair. By the way, when I go to heaven, I really do want hair. And I really want it like Jesus, you know, with flowing, curly hair. I really do. 
On that day, believers will get to see God's glory in person. And it's not going to be veiled by sin. We're not going to look in a mirror dimly. It's not going to be veiled by a tabernacle. Not veiled by earth's corruption. Not veiled, hey, not veiled by unbelief. But rather, perfected. And let me share something with you. The glory of God will be the singular, most spectacular thing you will ever see. There is nothing that compares on earth. Your greatest experience on earth will be exceeded a trillion gazillion times if there's ever a number such as that. I mentioned this in my prayer because it's been staying upon my heart. Delight thyself in the Lord. He will give you the desire of your heart. You know, a lot of people with the health, wealth, prosperity take that and go, oh, see, he'll give you the desire. You, you want that new house? Claim it. You want that, you want that car? Claim it. That's not what he's talking about. Delight thyself in the Lord. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, guess what the Lord's going to give you? He's going to give you Himself. The delight is God Himself. Not the things of this earth. Not the temple stuff. The desire of the believer's heart, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the desire of the believer's heart is indeed God. And if we delight ourselves here on earth, in God, if we yearn for Him, if we obey Him, if God has become your everything, if you are consumed with God, then God will give you the desire of your heart, which is Himself, God. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to do this. Listen, heaven is the ultimate fulfillment of that desire. So we scratch the surface of heaven, right? We, we have seen the glorified bodies. We recognize our spouses. We know that there will be no more marriage. We recognize one another in heaven. We reunite with our families. And best of all, we have the unhindered fellowship with God, Jesus Christ the Son, with the person of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's a great hymn says, What a day that will be. And in that hymn there says, there'll be peace forevermore on that happy golden shore. You know what? Our human minds cannot even fathom what eternal peace would be like. Peace, cessation of striving. Heaven's going to be 10 billion times greater than anything we could ever imagine or conceive of. So here's the question. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul wrote this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4? He says, if you then have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above and not things on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. The things of earth, the desires the passion, the covetedness, the materialism that binds us on earth. Think of the indifference and the laziness and the slothfulness toward the things of God that work against us and hinder us from that full 
and fulfilling the will of God. So why not today repent of those things? Why not as believers release your grip on the world and just say, Father, I want to live for you. I just want to live for you. And let us be seeking those things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of the Father. You hear me say this all the time. I'm not going to stand before the Lord with empty pockets. What would you do? I don't know, Lord. What would you do to advance the kingdom of of God on earth? I don't know, Lord. Listen, let me share something that's very important. No one gets to heaven who is not saved. You must be born again. You must repent of your sin and entrust your eternal soul to Christ and Christ alone. You must find your salvation at the foot of the cross. And the blood of Jesus must atone for your sins. Most people you ask, are you going to heaven? They'll say, yeah, because I'm a good person. You're not a good person. Not when you compare yourself to the perfected, righteous Christ. So let us live our life here on earth dead, dead, dead to the things of this earth. Come to Christ today. Repent from your sins. Turn to Him. Cry out to God and say, Have mercy, O God, on me, a sinner. And save me, O Lord, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31, Paul told that Philippian jailer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. That's the command. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for a foretaste, a microscopic uh, foretaste of the glory of heaven. And Father, if there be anyone here, Lord, who knows not Christ, may they repent, may they confess their sins, may they cry out to God, God, save me lest I die. Father, your word says, he who comes to me. And the implication there is in repentance. He who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. So, Father, do what I cannot do. Extend thy hand to save, Lord. Extend thy hand to convict. Extend thy hand to reprove. Extend thy hand, Lord God that you would save many today. We ask you for this in the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.